Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. You should withdraw that. And if you don't, we will have to deal with it on the floor of the Senate. Australians who haven't got the time to go around and get on Twitter and wear t-shirts. Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. Exhibiting all of the qualities of a cult, except leadership. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. G'day and welcome to an episode of Roundabout, the podcast that's all a roundabout discussion of politics and the world at large. I'm Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is part of the, the larger group of podcasts that I do under the banner of The Curb, which is all about culture, unity, reviews, and banter. And this podcast is recorded in the lands of the Wadjuk people of Perth region, and I pay respects to their elders both past, present, and emerging. This show is also part of the podcast network called the Ozcast Network, where it has a whole bunch of different great Australian podcasts that you can go and listen to. And a lot of really, really great shows on that. Yeah, Day podcast is fantastic. I pushed that one quite a bit. I actually recently guested on an episode of Apple Slice podcast, which is a podcast that's usually all about Apple technology and technology at large. I, I really enjoy it, even though I am a faithful Android user um, and turn my nose up at the Apple uh empire basically but uh simon was really grateful you know great and had me on there to discuss the uh, recent encryption legislation that passed in the australian senate and that's a really interesting discussion and i hope that you go and have a listen to it because i found it really fascinating and it kind of uh gave me a kickstart into uh talking about politics again i'd had a little bit of a um uh, a breather from talking about politics for a little bit. I know it can get a little bit exhausting, and and I was really looking forward to actually doing a discussion on the Victorian election, especially uh, in the lead up to that election. Um, it was a fascinating election. I was on the edge of my seat for it, uh, especially given how thoroughly uh, resounding the success of the uh, Victorian Labor Party was. It was massive. It was huge. Daniel Andrews' government in Victoria is doing great things. It's a really progressive government. It's doing really, really interesting things. Not without their flaws. There, There certainly are flaws and they have people who disagree with them. But for the most part, it's a really, really interesting government. And so I was really excited about that. And I had intended to uh, talk about it, but alas, I got sick that week and uh, life got in the way, basically. But life isn't getting in the way of what I'm going to talk about in this episode. And I'm recording this on the 16th of December 2018, and today is the first day of the Labor National Conference. Now, what is the Labor National Conference? Uh, you know, why does the Labor Party, Australian Labor Party, need a national conference? Well, it's basically a place, and they always have an Adelaide, which is the birthplace of the Labor Party. It is an organization, it's a group that basically get together 
and it's all of the members of the Labor Party is invited to go and talk about the policies and procedures and the legislation and the plans that they have for the next year. Usually this occurs around July. Uh, usually it occurs in the middle of the year as kind of a kickstart for the financial year uh, to see what is going to go on for the next year and what plans Labor have. And fortuitously for Labor, um, they originally had this booked for July this year and the date they originally had it booked for turned out to be the date that the Super Saturday by-elections occurred. So the Super Saturday by-elections, if you hadn't been paying attention to the dual citizenship nonsense and um, Section 44 of the Constitution stuff that, that it plagued uh, the Australian politics over the last couple of years... Um, well, basically, there was a Super Saturday where a lot of Labor members really had to uh, contest their seats. And they mostly all won. They did a pretty good job of it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, not that the uh, the Liberal Party gets a choice as to when these particular dates occur, um, because it's up to the Australian Electoral Commission. But it just so happened that the Australian Electoral Commission um, put it on the same date as the Labor National Conference, which was in July. Now, Labor had the ability to uh, reschedule the the conference, uh, which they'd booked in Adelaide, uh, or they could uh, cancel that booking and forfeit hundreds of thousands of dollars for the booking. It's a massive event. That's how big it is. They book it out for three days. They talk about everything that they're going to be attacking and um, all agendas that they have going forward and all this kind of stuff. It's actually a really, really interesting event. And if you follow uh, the Australian Labor Party on YouTube, quite a fair few of the speeches are on there from today's uh, conference, the the opening of the conference. And over the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, uh, they will be discussing the legislations and the plans that they have going forward into 2019 in greater detail. And they'll be voting on different actions and plans uh, heading into 2019. And a lot of these actions and plans that the, the party will itself will be voting on is to decide an agenda of to of how they're going to deal with certain issues and you know namely issues like dealing with the Adani mine or dealing with refugees or asylum seekers or those kinds of things and yeah theoretically they should be voting on all that kind of stuff and deciding on what they're actually going to do with that particular uh, the decisions regarding re refugees and on Manus Island and Nauru uh, but I'll talk about more of that later on and why I don't think they're actually going to come to a decision on that um, but basically they're going to the plan is over the next two days is to decide what their plans are for 2019 and they, ha they already have a great idea of what they're going to do and they have a lot of plans in place and plans for legislation and things that they intend to do if they manage to win the next election. Everything is pointing to a Labor win for the next election. It's currently sitting at uh, 54 to 46 with the margin of about 2 to 3% difference for a Labor win. Interestingly, um, the margin for uh, preferred Prime Minister, which I don't understand uh, this discussion about preferred Prime Minister and the preferred party, it doesn't make any sense, but the preferred Prime Minister is still Scott Morrison. I'll talk a bit more about that later on in regards to Bill Shorten and who he is as a leader. Um, because, you know, even though Labor were in the lead for more than 30 consecutive news polls, which was the stat that Malcolm Turnbull used against Tony Abbott to basically overthrow him and said, you know, you know what, Tony, you've lost. 
30 news polls in a row, I think that there's got to be somebody that brings some stability to this government. And Malcolm Turnbull thought that he was the guy, and obviously he wasn't. Anyhow, he had more than 30 news polls in a row and didn't get turfed then. Uh, but, uh, of course, history shows that he was eventually turfed by... Um, Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison uh, as a joint effort, even though Peter really didn't uh, do the maths properly and went out on that one. Tough luck, Peter. Uh, you've, you've you know, taken one to the knee, which is great because then Australia doesn't have to suffer with you as a prime minister. But basically what I'm getting at is that even though the Labour Party was in front as the preferred party, uh, Bill Shorten never actually got in front of Malcolm Turnbull or Scott Morrison as being the preferred prime minister. I don't understand what that means um, because, you know, he if the Labour Party is to get in, then he is their voted leader. Uh, the party has decided on who the leader is, and that is Bill Shorten. Um, way back when, uh, and I'll touch on this again in a little bit, but way back when, when Anthony Albanese and Bill Shorten uh, challenged each other after uh, Kevin Rudd lost at the last election, they essentially had a vote and decided on who would get in as the leader. Now, it was kind of like a Donald Trump slash Hillary Clinton uh, scenario where technically, actually, Anthony Albanese did win, but Bill Shorten had the support of the of the unions and so therefore their vote um i don't understand how the voting works don't ask me i i have done research i've read into it i have little to no idea on how it works it's all backdoor shenanigans again something i'll touch on a little bit later on um but technically anthony albanese should have been the leader but bill shorten won that's a little bit of labor history anyway you probably already know this uh if you are a labor fan or you're a politics fan Anyhow, this is all basically saying that there is a huge, you know, there's a big cloud over what Labor is going to be doing. And the whole point of the national conference is to help clear that cloud and figure out exactly what Labor's agenda is heading into the next election or heading into the next year. And again, as I was saying, usually it's around June, July time. So they're able to head into a new financial year with an idea of what agendas they're going to be putting up against the government. And... uh, Obviously, that didn't happen this, you know, in July. So it's now happening in December, which is a great bonus for the Australian Labor Party. It's a huge bonus because we already know that within the next six months, and I'm calling it that it's May 18th. So we're going to stick with May 18th in the aspect of this discussion. But we already know that within the next six months, there needs to be a federal election. We need to decide on who is going to be leading the future of this country. We already know that it is going to be Scott Morrison against Bill Shorten. Um, And the whole point of this national conference is to be able to put forward what the policies and plans are for Labor Party and hopefully sway more people to vote for the Labor Party. We'll see. So what is the Labor Party agenda then? I've written a few bullet points, and this is going to be a little bit scattershot, so bear with me for this. I do apologize. We'll stick a few links in the show notes as to what's going on here. Um, But let's start off with the the key aspect of every single political thing, which is you need a slogan. You need something that is grabby. You need, you know, stop the boats. You need something that is going to grab people's attention, a three-word slogan. Or as Malcolm Turnbull said, we don't want any more three-word slogans. Well, and then he went on and did a whole bunch of three-word slogans. Well, Labour's slogan is not a three-word slogan. It's fair go for all Australians. Now, fair go for all Australians sounds a little bit milk milky you know it's a little bit okay sure no worries it sounds bland it doesn't really carry a punch but 
Over the next six months, you watch, Labor will come out with a couple of other ones that will back up Fair Go for All Australians. What they tend to do is they tend to have one particular, uh, you know, slogan that, that is going to be the, the, the core slogan, and then they bounce off a couple of other ones that are going to be a little bit more catchier, a little bit more oomph. And you don't want to, you know, punch the gut straight away. You've got to soften up the meat a little bit. And that's where this fair go for all Australians comes in. It's a very Bill Shorten line. Like if you listen to Bill Shorten talk, he is a very, eh, you know, somebody slap me. I need to wake up. That's what Bill Shorten is like. He's not an invigorating guy. Um, and this slogan feels not very invigorating. It's fair go for all Australians. Yeah, okay, well, fucking great. Isn't that what we all want? Um, but interestingly enough, fair go for all Australians does carry a bit of a Scott Morrison vibe to it. Scott Morrison has been kind of a bit of a repetitive prime minister lately talking about everybody having a fair go, you know, um, for you know turning australia into the country of a place that basically uh, it will be the place that for people who want to have a go will have a go and that kind of thing now i'm i'm paraphrasing it there it's not the exact words but you get the idea of what he's trying to get at and it's a really stupid line it's like you know if you want to if you want to work then we'll let you work it's like well of course you will it's a do- democracy i'm allowed to work but you know, underemployment exists and all this kind of stuff. Anyhow, there is a very Scott Morrison-y kind of vibe to Fair Go for All Australians. But again, I think they'll finesse that as, as it goes along. Now, it's interesting. So the different discussions and different uh, speeches that people had there, they had um, Tony Burke, they had Wayne Swan, they had Tanya Plibersek, they had, of course, Bill Shorten. Um, you know, all these really interesting people talking about different things. But Tanya Plibersek went up first and, and talked about focus. She focused on the positives of the Gillard and Rudd government era. And she focused on all their successes and how, you know, they managed to help navigate through the global financial crisis. And interestingly, she also focused on, you know, one of the benefits that Labor Party, Australian Labor Party has is that they do have a heavy amount of women in their party. They do. And one of the things that they're going to be pushing for is having 50% women in parliament. And that's something that, you know, on paper at least, and certainly the actions of the Australian, of the Liberal National Party, um, which, of course, there are are two separate parties, there's the Liberals and the Nats, um, but regardless... You know, either way, there is not a huge build-up of women in both parties. So, you know, one of the benefits that Labor has is that they do actually have a fair amount of women working for them, and they, if they will, if they do get into government, um, then there will be a fifty percent women uh, parliament run parliament which is fantastic it doesn't you know that doesn't really exist that doesn't occur uh and i find that really fascinating and great and it's one of the four you know one of the steps forward that labor has over the nats and the liberals and the reason why they have that step over them is that you know it's a huge discussion that's been occurring lately and if you do pay attention to politics you've seen the women who work for the the liberals move to the backbench or move to being an independent uh, in the current government. Now, still, they are still voting for the Liberals. So they are still voting with the Liberals as motions are made and things like that. So they're really just an independent in name only. But that, you know, that, that motion of moving out of, you know, basically resigning from the Liberals is pretty massive. And Labor being able to say, well, you know what, 
you know, the liberals are basically losing women left, right and center, but we have 50% women on our side. That's a huge draw card. And I don't know whether voters are going to really, it's going to play on their minds or not, but I, I think it will. And I think it will because it is something that is breaking through to people and like, you know, they see if you go to your workplace, you will see that you already have a lot of women you work with. So why shouldn't our government be exactly the same? Why shouldn't there be 50% women there representing the women of Australia, representing, you know, the different voices of Australia, rather than just being a whole bunch of white men up there deciding everything? Let's not forget who was the uh, Minister for Women, uh, good old Tony Abbott way back in the day, um, you know, with all of his life experience with women. Um, so yeah, Daniel Plabersek basically opened up talking about that, which was great. And a bit of an interesting thing as well, I didn't know that South Australian women were the first to gain the vote in the world, uh, which was great. Um, you know, it was nice to see that. Uh, she also went on to remind of the apology of the Stolen Generation, uh, which is, you know, a massive thing. And basically, I think one of the reasons why she, she dropped that in there is to help remind people that Labour is a you know, Labour, when in power, actually do some pretty important changing things for Australia. And that's where, you know, the the price on carbon was essentially trying to uh, address climate change in Australia. And I'll touch on more on that later on. But, you know, they really want to push that we make changes for all of Australia, not just for the rich people. And a reminding of the apology of the stolen generation is a pretty massive thing. Um, and that was followed up. Bill Shorten mentioned that there will be a voice for the First Nations people in the Constitution. Now, I will enshrine that in the Constitution, which is something that in the past few years at least, and for, well, a lot longer than the past few years, but it's really raised its head again over the past few years because there's been such dramatic inaction. And... <laughs> It's devastating that there's been so much inaction uh, for Indigenous Australians and First Nation Australians. Um, and, you know, Labor coming forward and saying that there will be a voice for the First Nations people in the Constitution is exactly what people have been requesting and been asking for. You know, there needs to be a voice there. There needs to be somebody, a representative for indigenous australians out there voicing an opinion in parliament and talking about it it can't be a fucking envoy a tony abbott envoy there can't just be you know the uluru statement was a massive thing and then the malcolm turnbull government just ignored it just rejected it and that's devastating and you know labor i believe them when they say that they're going to take this change and Im implement a change for the First Nations people. I believe that and I'm hopeful for that. And I'll touch on more of that a bit later on because I know that when people look at the Labour Party and they look at their inactions, what inactions they do, and, and yes, they do vote with the Liberals quite a bit, uh, especially with things like asylum seekers and especially with things like the encryption bill that recently passed. And as I mentioned on Simon's episode that we discussed there, I don't think most Australians give a shit about the encryption bill. I really don't. Yes, it is a major problem, but is it a major problem for all Australians? No, it's not. It isn't. And I think the Labour Party know that to the point that they need to focus on the things that actually will you know, make a huge difference to minorities in Australia or diff you know, different groups in Australia. 
And so having a voice for the First Nation people in the Constitution would be a huge difference, massive difference. Wayne Swan, uh, who's the elected president of the Labor Party. Now, uh, it's a little bit confusing what an, uh, an elected president of the Labor Party is. Wayne Swan is not member of parliament anymore. Uh, he was. I think he was a very effective person as well. Um, what does that mean, you know, when we have uh, Bill Shorten as the leader of the Labor Party? Well, president of the Labor Party kind of looks at all the going-ons of the Labor Party, you know, the finances and stuff like that, ensuring that they can actually financially stay afloat to be able to keep the Labor Party going. They look at all the back, you know, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff, and that's what Wayne Swan will do. I think that he is a good mind. Uh, I think that he is somebody who will help the Labor Party quite a bit. Uh, He is, you know, a pretty smart guy. Um, and, he, you know, he is a guy who had a guiding hand in helping Julia Gillard as well, who, you know, uh, cards on the table. I really respect Julia Gillard. I think she's a great person. Uh, yes, she had problems, sure, but point me to a prime minister who didn't have problems. Uh, point me to a president who didn't have problems. I mean, I know that, you know, one of the favorite things that people say about Barack Obama is they're like, yes, he was, a, you know, the first black president of America, but look at all the things that he did, the weapons of mass destruction and stuff like that. And it's like, yep, yeah, okay, the drone killings and all this kind of stuff. Yep, I get all of that, I do. But sometimes, you know, you have to look past that and you have to kind of uh, look at the, the positives sometimes. And I, I tend to look at the positives of Julia Gillard more than the negatives. Um, so where else are Labor going? Well, I think they, they want to try and establish themselves as a security-focused party. They, they really want to try and focus themselves as being a party that is going to promise a secure future for Australians, for all Australians. How do they do that? Well... They're going to create a National Integrity Commission. And I know that the Liberal Party already kind of tried to implement something like that recently, uh, trying to get on the front foot and be like, oh, no, we hear what you're saying, but we're just, you know, we, uh, we you know, uh, we'll put it in ourselves. And I think that they they certainly try and push, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see the Liberal Party maybe trying to implement some of Labor's agenda to get on the front foot and appear as if they were actually the ones that came up with the idea in the first place when they weren't. I know that Labor's Integrity Commission is going to be deeper and more effective than the Liberals because the Liberals one essentially wants to give current members a free ride. And Labor's is happy to have a look back in the past as to what has already occurred. I'm curious about that. I really am. I think that, you know, when when people talk about politics, and one of the things when I love talking about politics, don't ever catch me at a party. I mean, I won't be at a party for starters, uh, the life of an introvert, but um, don't ever catch me at a party and start talking about politics because I won't shut up. Um, but when I do talk to people about politics, the old adage is basically people don't trust politicians. They really don't. And what best way to help gain some trust with politicians other than trying to you know instill a national integrity commission if labor implement that well they'll be able to monitor everything that's going on essentially it should be a crime and corruption it should be theoretically and theoretically it should also help stop uh, international donations and things like that and yes that might mean they get up might have to stop you know donating to parties and things like that but 
folks i have a spoiler alert if you if you like a particular politician and you want them to succeed you can actually donate to them personally you can actually donate to their campaign or their party to ensure that they succeed uh, you don't have to donate to get up to try and make sure that get up influences where uh, different votes go or things like that. I love get up, get up do a great job. They do, but we have to be realistic. I mean, get up is getting to the point where, you know, they are going to have a bit of restriction put on them. And I think the integrity commission is going to start doing that as well. Not that I'm saying that get up's done anything wrong, but they will be encompassed by certain donation uh, things that uh, integrity commission might influence. So that kind of security is really important. The other kind of security is looking forward to next generations. They want to be safer, they want to be kinder, they want to be fairer. And that's where Labor's Lean Group, which is Labor Environment Action Network, a group of Labor members who push for climate change action comes into effect. Um, They are a group of dedicated members who really push for, as I was saying, climate change action. They're, They're tackling climate change action. And what Labor will implement is a Commonwealth Environment Protection Agency. What this means, I'm not entirely sure, okay? Um, It's notable as well, the National Labor Conference uh, occurred and as Bill Shorten went on to talk, there was uh, protesters who jumped on the stage to protest against the Adani mine. They were evacuated from the building or removed from the building uh, and still protested outside. Um, this, as far as I understand, is a major issue uh, within the Labor Party. Um, it is a, a sore point. I personally understand why Labor haven't come out and said what their stance is on Adani. They, I know that the, the Queensland government has basically said that Adani won't be getting any further uh, approvals from them. Um, but haven't outwardly stated that, no, they don't want the mind going ahead. And I think it's a situation of wanting their cake and eating it too, where they basically want to ensure that they get the voters, because Queensland, uh, especially the area where Adani is, is a very right-leaning area. That's where Bob Catter's territory is. It's where Pauline Hanson's territory is. It's, It's, you know, these people are afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of the future of living in... A country where you know coal mines don't exist anymore what are they going to do for a job after that even though climate change majorly affects the farmers in their area as well so i imagine that labor is basically trying to take a, a soft stance and trying to gain some of those votes in uh, queensland and pull them away from those particular voters uh you know the the, the safe uh, liberal national voters trying to pull them away by not saying that hey we're going to cancel the mine or we're against it or anything like that because what they hear then is that is not oh great that's a win for climate change but what they will hear is that they will be like well the labor party doesn't care about miners and that flows through the rest of australia then it doesn't have to be just a regional queensland thing because if labor doesn't care about the miners in queensland then they theoretically don't care about the miners in new south wales or the miners in victoria or south australia or west australia or anywhere else um which isn't true of course it isn't but that's how political narratives work. You don't like one thing, so therefore it flows on and applies to everything else. Um, as I say, as I'll say later on, there is no nuance in politics, none at all. So I imagine that is why Labor haven't come out against Adani right now. I don't think it's a wise election campaign for them to say anything about Adani, to be honest. 
Um, I think that it is wiser for them to just wear the the, uh, the the abuse and the protests that they will get because they will get a lot of protests over the next six months, just like the uh, Liberal National Party will get a lot of protests as, as we lead up to the election. Um, and especially given that Adani is so convinced that they're actually going to be digging ground and turning soil very, you know, in 24 hours. It's not going to happen, guys. And, you know, there's a lot of things in place that uh, will stop that from actually happening. Um, protests isn't going to be one of the things that's going to stop the Adani mine from happening. There's a lot of alleged, you know, uh, things that need to be signed before that actually occurs. But basically, I'm not surprised that Labor haven't come out with a vocal stance on this just yet. And that's why I think this lean group, the Labor Environment Action Network, I think that they are going to actually be very effective in helping Labor transition to a coal mine free future. Um, you know, for the coals that have already been signed and, and the soil has already been turned and stuff like that, they will still exist. They will. Um, there's no stopping them. But for ones where the soil hasn't been turned, like Adani, I think that they will have a plan in place. I don't think it's wise for them to discuss that right now because it's certainly something that, um, you know, the coal-loving liberals will basically throw in their face. So, you know, basically watch this spot for that particular area. They also, Tony Burke also wanted to mention about how the Julia Gillard government was created basically the biggest uh, protection for oceans in Australia and created the the greatest amount of um, water parks, essentially, uh, safe water parks in Australia and, and no fishing zones and things like that. And then he reminded that the Liberal Party went ahead and then just took all those protections away. And then the next breath, he also mentioned that the shortened government wants to ban all super trawlers in Australia, which is interesting. I think that's really great. Uh, Super trawler, if you don't know, is basically, as the name suggests, it's a super trawler. It is a massive, massive ship, uh, not too different from your sheep ships and things like that. But instead of carrying sheep, it has a massive net, this huge tube, which basically they drag behind it. um, And, you know, all literature says, oh, dolphins are fine and sharks won't be caught in there and turtles will be safe and all this kind of stuff well i'm sorry it doesn't work that way and dolphins still get caught and sharks still get caught and things like that um and turtles still get caught um but basically it's this huge net that drags through the ocean and collects you know huge huge amounts of fish it's it's a devastating thing it basically takes you know a whole ecosystem with it that's how massive these things are so it's great to see that labor is going to be intending to ban the super trawler um they also are going to if they get in double the number of indigenous rangers in australia now the indigenous ranger program has been fantastic for australia it's it's not only uh, employed indigenous australians uh working on the land and um getting them you know healing the land in a lot of ways by removing cats and feral beasts and stuff like that but also um you know, monitoring the land and, and, and looking out for it. So to see that Labor wants to double the number of Indigenous rangers out there is great. Uh, I would love to see them triple it, but I don't know the economics of this particular program, but I do know that it's a very effective program. And I do know that it's very helpful for remote communities as well because it gets... Uh, it creates basically it creates jobs for remote communities, which is what we want. Um, it's great to see that kind of stuff. Um all right, so that's that's the environment. They've got a lot of plans for it. Uh, the housing crisis uh, is a pretty major thing that's occurring in Australia, um, and 
Labor have a $6.6 billion plan for affordable housing. I'm not entirely sure how this works. I, I tried to read as much as I could, but I didn't get enough from it. I think this is one of those things that Labor is going to be voting on in the next couple of days. So um, the, the idea of what will occur with this will be clear over the next week or so. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm curious to see what this means. And I think what it means for, for some places is you, your removal of the, uh, you know, different taxes and benefits regarding houses, negative gearing and stuff like that. Um, so we'll see what that does. Uh, I understand that they plan on building some 22,000 houses in the first year and, and whether that will help or not, I'm not too sure. Um, but they have a plan, at least. They have something in mind uh, to deal with the housing crisis in Australia, which the Liberal government doesn't have a plan to deal with that. Uh, they believe that, you know, if you build it, they will come. If you offer negative gearing, then it will allow people to rent houses and stuff like that, negating the fact that wage growth has been stagnant for years uh, and negating the fact that there is a major downturn in the value of properties in in especially in Sydney and Melbourne. I mean, it's all around Australia, um, but in Sydney and Melbourne, it's been drastic. And, you know, if you want to just, for a lark, go to realestate.com.au and just have a look at the prices of properties in Sydney. And if you want to buy a house or rent there, um, just look at how much money you, you need to have. I have a few friends who live over in New South Wales and, you know, they tend to live in the hills <laughs> because that's the cheapest place that they can live and they have to train it into the city all the time if they want to go and do something. Um, that's not great. It's not great at all. Um, but yeah, realestate.com.au, just have a look at what Sydney prices are. It's, it'll make you choke. But there's a few other questions which I have, okay? Um, there was no mention of a referendum on a republic. Uh, which I think is wise because I don't think that this election campaign, uh, that's something that Bill Short needs to bring up. I think that it's one egg too many. Uh, I think that it's just a little bit too much to be talking about a republic. Uh, you know, a massive, a huge change of government, especially a government that is talking about some pretty major uh, things for the future and changing the future positively for a lot of people. Um, I think that Labor would be best to steer clear of the Republic discussion. Bill Shorten is very keen on a, on a Republic, um, and maybe he's very keen on becoming the first head of state. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't I don't know what he wants to do, but uh, personally for me, I think that it's a bit... I think that unless Australia has a, uh, you know, which the Labor Party mentions that they will do, unless the Australia has a you know the first nations people have mentioned in the constitution there is a, a you know the actions of the uluru statement are enacted that the, the well the requests of the uluru statement are enacted unless that occurs i have less interest in uh supporting a republic you know i i, I think that there is no point in changing the country so fundamentally unless it is with the First Nations people by the side. Uh, that needs to happen. It's a pretty major thing. You can't just go, ah, you know, fuck it, we're going to leave the Queen now um, and not actually deal with this issue that has plagued Australia for so long. So that's something which I'm glad that they didn't mention. But also for a party that's focused on the future, I want to find out what the major issues are regarding the New Start Allowance. Now, the New Start Allowance is a pretty major thing and... Labor's point of view is basically wait 18 months if they get into power. So that would be May 18th, as I said, to, you know, 
18 months from May 18th uh, is a good, you know, 2021. So it's a far way away. <laughs> you know, it's essentially three years away. Um, so they, they've opted to wait 18 months and then reassess it. Uh, then, which is a long time to say to people on Newstart, hey, just sit tight. We know that there's a you know wage crisis. We know all this kind of stuff, uh, but we're not going to really look at raising Newstart just yet. Again, I, I think that this is something that will get raised up in the next two days. And as the members of the Labor Party, the people who theoretically will become the members of Parliament and the, the sitting members of the House of Representatives and the Senate, um, I think this is something that they will discuss over the next couple of days. I sure hope it will be. Uh, but to me, it sounds like oh, we, if we wait 18 months and then reassess it then at the end of that period of time, to me, it feels like they're already setting themselves up for the next election after this one. Because if you think about it, we have a three-year election cycle. Um and so 18 months really kind of puts them at the beginning of the next election cycle. And they'll have, uh, to me, it sounds like they're trying to just in, put something in place to be like, okay, in three years time, we'll be able to say at the next election, will it going to raise new start? Even though, you know, just like the Liberal Party who is saying things, uh, they continue to blame, la- blame Labour five years after they've been in power. Uh, for issues that they've occurred that have occurred and it's like guys you've been in power you could actually make the change um so i sure hope that's not the case um but it possibly is uh meant to add as well that superannuation has been added to national employment standards ensuring that unpaid superannuation becomes a thing of the past and it also allows employees to chase up unpaid super um this is pretty major uh because it's a huge issue um, it's a massive issue and especially a massive, massive issue as uh, Australia's aging population becomes really, really big. Uh, you know, we have a, a huge aging population. Uh, there is a lot more older people out there and uh, the understanding of superation, superannuation is, is pretty important. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see where this will go, uh, especially because... Uh, one of the things that Labor want to be able to do is they want to implement the fact that women in Australia retire with a fair income. Now, what they're talking about is that at, at the moment, two out of five Australian women are retiring into poverty. That's a pretty alarming stat. Um, what I want to know is, does this mean that the wage gaps will be addressed? You know, the, the gaps between men and women and how much they get paid, will that be addressed? I can only hope so. Uh, what this particular plan will also do is address superannuation for mothers while they're on maternity leave because at the moment some some mothers aren't earning superannuation while they're on maternity leave and sometimes that can be for a whole year imagine taking a whole year of superannuation out that's that's crazy and i know that some employees might be like oh this is going to cost me so much money but don't you want your employees to be happy and healthy and and live a positive life you know isn't that a good thing um so hopefully the Labor Party will be able to implement that. It would be quite good. They also want to introduce the biggest tax reform in generations, as per Shadow Treasurer Chris Bond. They want to be able to address multinationals and get them to pay fairer share of tax, in inverted commas there. They want to unwind a system that means income tax refunds are paid at $5 billion a year to those who haven't paid income tax. This sounds like a figure that they will roll out quite a bit, okay? Because five billion is a lot of money, and if they can get five billion dollars back and put it into their coffers, it looks really good for them. So 
expect to hear this figure, $5 billion. We intend to get $5 billion back from income tax. Um, that will be a pretty major thing, I imagine, coming up in the election campaign. Uh, they also want to stop family trusts from being used as tax minimization purposes, uh, and they also want to reduce uh, negative gearing and capital gains tax uh, to reform them and make them fairer and more progressive. Now, previously in the past, Labor have, at least at the last election, um, they talked about removing negative gearing from new establishments. So existing properties can still have negative gearing put on them. Now, so if you have a house and you have ne negative gearing on it, uh, then a negative gearing is a whole thing in itself. I won't go into it here. I'm already running late on this particular episode. Um, but it's a whole thing, basically. Uh, so really, negative gearing would only affect currently established properties and not newly established ones. Um, I'm curious whether that's still the case or if they've changed it since the last they last mentioned it. Um, it's also interesting as well, you know, obviously Labor is the party that has the support of unions, uh, particularly the CFMEU. Uh, you know, obviously Bill Shorten did work with the CFMEU way back when. Um, so there's a lot of push from them for what they want. And I'm curious whether that will help push the wage instability action from Labor. So talking about the wage gaps, talking about instability and, and you know, underemployment as well is a pretty major thing. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious whether that will be the case, how hard the unions will push. We'll see that over the next six months, I think. Um, and understandably uh, you know liberal party is against the unions they don't like unions they don't like union interference it's a you know they will beat that old stick of oh, labor in with the unions and all this kind of stuff well no shit no shit are they in with unions 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 aren't bad um you know it's not bad at all so yeah anyhow into the 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 deeper part of of what i have to say about the labor national conference um to me, Labor are getting on the front foot. They're having had the 48th National Conference pushed back after the Super Saturday by elections. Um, Labor had a minor win with being able to push it back to conference in December. I mentioned this a bit earlier, but going into just a little bit more detail here. They faced losing hundreds of thousands of dollars if they lost the hall that they booked for the conference in Adelaide. But the move to December managed to give them a political front foot, putting them in front of the LNP by having a positive message for people to engage with this Christmas. That is, if people do decide to engage with politics at Christmas, um, you know, it's it's less than 10 days away until Christmas. You've got eight, you know, eight, nine days until Christmas. Uh and essentially, you know, if Labor come out with all these positive ideas, um, that's pretty good. You know, it's it's good for people to talk about, especially compared to what the Liberal Party has done. You know, what has the Liberal done? You know, Liberal National Party done, but furthered instability. Promise of a surplus means little when there's no action of climate change. Underemployment is up. Wage instability is a major issue, and all the while there is a housing crisis occurring. So it's great that the libs are talking about a surplus, but what does it really mean in the grand scheme of things? Well, the MyEFO, MYEFO, the Mid-Year Fiscal and Economic Outlook will be released tomorrow, the 17th of December. This happens always just before Christmas. It's kind of like usually they will release it kind of late in the day uh, to get, you know, Maybe if it's not a great outlook, um, they release it just before the newspapers go home and the people finish up. So it might not be in the following day's newspaper. Um, 
that's a typical tactic when there's bad news. Um, but I think that the Liberal Party is going to be happy about where they stand. Uh, and this will give the voters a greater idea of how the LNP is going, has been going financially. There will be talk of surpluses. There will be talk of stability. There will be talk of fear and anger regarding Labor and what a Labor government will bring to Australia. But there's a good feeling that the voters are tired of that anti-Labor rhetoric. With the inaction of the Religious Freedoms Review, which theorises that it's okay to discriminate against LGBTIQ kids and teachers in schools, where instead of actually enacting you know, some of the things that Labor was actually going to support in that particular review, um, instead of that, they decided to have a review of the review. So there was about seven clauses which Labor wasn't happy about. Uh, and Liberal Party want the whole thing implemented, which is Philip Ruddock's review into religious freedoms. They want the whole thing implemented, and that includes these seven things that Labor isn't happy about and want taken out. So they're going to review those things, which is a review of the review. It doesn't make any sense. And really, this kind of feels like it exists simply to appease no voters for marriage equality. It feels like it's it's there to appease the Kevin Andrews and the Tony Abbotts of the Liberal Party and and that small group of, of religious folks who very much want to uh, boot trans kids and gay kids and, you know, basically uh, minority groups out of schools, out of religious schools. And if you hear what Scott Morrison talks about... Um, it's very disturbing. I won't bring it up here, but yeah, it's very, very disturbing. Anyhow, the Liberal National Party also have its, you know, there's so much inaction on climate change. Uh, kids left school to protest climate change, um, which is, you know, <laughs> it's sad when that happens, but it's also sad when it happens on a global scale with kids in Europe doing exactly the same thing. It's really devastating. It really is. Then, as I mentioned, the inaction on on housing crisis, uh, the inaction on wage growth, all the while they talk about a surplus as if a surplus actually matters. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're a good government if you save money while the roof is leaking and the floorboards are rotten and the windows are smashed. But hey, you've got a million bucks in the bank. Superb. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that you haven't spent on Australia as a whole. And I think this is one of the problems that the Liberal Party and the Labor Party has. Is ever since uh, the Liberal Party went and decided to compare the the federal budget with a household budget, well, I think it's a stupid comparison. You certainly don't run your household budget like you would a federal budget. In a federal budget, you often spend a lot more than you actually have to ensure that the people that you're representing are kept safe or you know, things work positively for them kind of thing. Uh, you know, I just, uh, it frustrates me to say the least that we look at how much money we have as kind of like a, as a, as a, as a term of being like, we're better off because we didn't spend so much or we're better off because we didn't don't give so much to foreign aid or, or things like that. There's again, there's no nuance in politics, but this is an area where nuance is required. It's an area where we look at each thing individually and look at it a little bit more. Uh, it's a, it's an area where we start to see things like, you know, years and years ago, the ten million dollars given to a ballet school and the ten million dollars taken away from the games industry in Australia. It's like, why this for that? 
I'm rambling, but it frustrates me. And especially because the surplus doesn't hide the fact that debt growth has actually grown. It's occurred. You know, debt growth has risen a substantial amount from $160 billion when Labor came, uh, Liberal Party came in in 2013 to $350 billion. That's a stupid amount of money. Stupid amount of money. A surplus just means that they're factored in their 60 months interest-free period and worked out that maybe, just maybe, they can have that fridge paid off before then without having to pay interest. No, not the one that Tony got from Gumtree. Enough about that. Labor has a problem. It's in the center of politics. By design, it needs to be a center party. Uh, We already have a left-leaning party. It is the Greens. We already have a right-leaning party. It's... Well, multiple right-leaning parties. You've got the Cata Party, you've got One Nation, you've got whatever Cory Bernardi's doing. So by design, Labor needs to be a centre party. It needs to provide an alternative for the despondent Greens voters who are frustrated by the extreme left and the ineffective core party members. That's me. I'm raising my hand here. I'm one of those people. They also need to provide an alternative for the Liberal voter who is frustrated by the way the Libs have become a never-ending Ouroboros that vomits itself out every two years just to eat itself back up again. And with, a, with this problem comes the problem within the party itself. When Bill Shorten went up against Anthony Albanese for the leadership challenge after Kevin Rudd lost back in 2013, it was the right of Labor that going up against the left of Labor. Now, this is going to get a bit confusing. I don't entirely understand it, so bear with me. This analogy is crass. Um, it looks nice on paper. It may not sound great coming out of my mouth. The way political parties work is in this bizarre backroom kind of thing. It's equal measure Wizard of Oz behind the curtain and Demi Moore in striptease, single mother dancing to earn for a living. What I'm getting at is that there is always somebody behind the curtain pulling things, all the while somebody's out the front trying to make things look even better and, you know, do a little bit of jazz and, you know, a little bit of uh, flair and stuff like that, all the while there's a fake and a phony right behind the scenes. It doesn't make sense, but in my mind, it does. If you just stop, pause this podcast for a second and visualize The Wizard of Oz uh, manipulating Demi Moore dancing on a strip pole. Just do that for me for a minute, and then you might understand where I'm coming from. You also likely won't. Anyway, I have no idea how it works. So when I say that Labor Party are going to vote on how many people, how many of the party left and how many of the party right are going to help decide what goes on with the Labor Party, I say that with little understanding of what the national executive is. As far as I understand, it's easy to compare it to the way the Liberal Party works, with the far-right-leaning Duttons, Abbotts, Andrews, Hunts and co. pulling the strings for the moderate right centre, demanding that these things occur or else. Who knows what or else stands for, but maybe it's just another Ouroboros. Shit, Canberra is full of them. So what does this mean? Well, Shorten is, for want of a better term, a right-leaning Labor member. He always has been. It's part of the reason Labor has voted with the current government quite a bit of the time. But that is a whole different discussion about politics in itself, so I won't go down that path. So with the Labor National Conference going on, they will vote as to how many right-leaning members will help decide the agenda going forward, and how many left-leaning members are there. Now the plan is, from what I understand, it's a very crass understanding, but the plan is to have uh, 11 right-leaning members and 9 left-leaning members instead of 10-10. In the big picture, it means little. But it actually does play a pretty major role in the way Labor plays this election campaign. It's pretty clear that Bill Shorten is trying to assure voters that the disunity that plagued the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years is long gone. 
Yes, Shorten played a major role in those events, but those days were five years ago. And if Bill Shorten has moved on, then isn't it fair for the rest of Australia to also move on? Isn't it fair that the Labor Party helps manoeuvre Australians into a realm where they have a stable government that lasts for a full term of the government? But what can we expect from a stable government? Well, expect little on action on refugees and little action on asylum seekers. I know they're one and the same, but, you know, the two terms tend to get bandied about differently. Expect a little discussion about Adani. I've already covered that. Expect little discussions about what is currently going on, but what will go on in the future. Instead, they will talk about the kids of the future. They'll talk about 2030. Expect to hear 2030 quite a lot during this election campaign. Expect to hear the kids of 2030, the, the fairer future for the kids of Australia. Expect to hear that a lot. It's a tight line Labor has to walk with this current election. Every poll shows that Labor will blitz the libs at the next election. But a far-reaching lead can be narrowed from a basic mistake. What kind of mistake? Well, if the Labor Party even mentions that they might be keen on bringing asylum seekers on Manus Island or Nauru to Australia, then that's all you hear from the Liberal Party, that Labor is weak on security, that Labor opened the floodgates for the boats, that Labor doesn't care about Australia. It doesn't take much to turn an election. Heck, look at how devastating the narrative of a price on carbon was for Julia Gillard when Tony Abbott called it a carbon tax. It was hampered with that name, carbon tax, endlessly. That was what dragged Julia Gillard down. Labor need to be careful not to upset the apple cart. It's why they supported the encryption bill. It's why they've been less vocal on things that you, as a voter, would likely care about. I know me, personally, as I mentioned, I care quite a bit about what's going on with Manus Island and Nauru. I care about that. I care about the people that are on those, those places. I care about them. But, on the same hand, I understand Labor's inaction. I understand that. I get it. And that is where the right-leaning part of Bill Shorten as a leader comes through. He knows that he is walking a tight line. He knows that maybe, just maybe, if he tries to pull some of this centre politics stuff, that he can pull some of those Liberal voters across. He knows that if he doesn't mention a word about asylum seekers, that he will gain some of the votes from the people who that is a major issue. And, and, and unfortunately for some Australians, it is a major issue. If you just take a look on Facebook and Twitter, yeah, maybe it's not a bright idea. And I know that these polls are skewed. But if you look at some of the polls that have come up regarding asylum seekers and refugees, there is a lot of people who are indifferent to their plight. There is a lot of people who don't care. There is a lot of people who it is a vote changer. Because security is a major issue and we are living in a dark world. We are living in a very, very dark world where security and terrorism and threats to our safety are a major, major thing. And touch wood, but Australia hasn't had a major terrorist occurrence. We have had terrorist acts, you know, in some regards, but we haven't had a major terrorist occurrence in the way that, you know, a bombing or something like that has occurred. We just haven't. Touch wood. And... Australians live in fear that that is going to happen. That's why they don't care about the encryption bill. If it means that you know they're safer at night, then that's all that matters, isn't it? Isn't it? If people you know who are genuine refugees stay on Manus Island and Nauru uh, in really terrible conditions, um, then that's all that matters, isn't it? Doesn't isn't that what all that matters? That they're safe, and even if these people have to suffer for their own safety, then isn't that all that matters? 
Well, that plays into some people's, some voters' minds. It plays into their minds in a way that they're like, you know what, I'm happy with that as long as I get to go to the shops and get my groceries and don't fear being attacked or anything like that, then so be it. Does that make it right? No, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't. But it's understanding why different parties do different things. It's understanding that is a pretty important thing. And again, we're in election campaign mode now. We're in a time where every word will be assessed and focus grouped and monitored. Any slip up, any mishap, and either party will use it against their foe. Does this make it right? No, it doesn't. Shouldn't the Australian public be up front? And the voters in the politicians' minds, shouldn't the Australian public be the thing that Australian politicians care about? Yes, but this is politics and there is no nuance in politics. There is no nuance in politics. There isn't. It's, it's black or white. That's it. So while I would personally love to see Labour do something for asylum seekers, I understand what kind of party the Labour Party is. I understand that they're a party that has often not worked for asylum seekers. I do not expect this to change. But there is a presence of Labour voters and a presence of independents and, of course, the Indi- of the Greens who actually want action for refugees in the world. Something might happen with the, you know, the position of these people, the left of the Labour Party. It is still a pretty significant part of the Labour Party that is the left that is vocal about these things. There are independents, Karen Phelps, for example, who talks about this as being a major issue. There is motion, there is a vibe that there is a change coming. But I can guarantee you that Labour is not going to address that. It is not a vote-getter. It is just not a vote-getter. So get hot around the collar all you want. They won't say anything until they are in power. Now, I'm being a little bit... um, you know, uh, optimistic here, and optimism with politics is a fool's game, really. Um, but I'm being optimistic that when Labor get in, that they'll actually do something. I don't think they will, uh, but I also really do think that they will. I do, and the reason why I say that is that you know, it's it, often it's the uh, no cuts to health, no cuts to SBS, no cuts to ABC. That 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 famous line that Tony Abbott had, and then when he got in, he did exactly that. He went and cut different things. He went and cut health. He went and cut, you know, all these different Medicare and all that kind of stuff. What I'm getting at is that politicians say one thing and do something else. And it goes against, you know, as I was saying, the Labour Party want to present themselves as being a stable, united party that is safe and trustworthy. But, you know, endless years of politics will show that that's not always the case. And again, I'm being optimistic, and again, that's a bad thing to do with politics, but I'm being optimistic that maybe Labour are holding this to their chest in the hope that they get those votes, and then when they get in, they can change their mind about it. They will have a majority government. They will. It's just the case. So they'll be able to enact these things a lot better. (sighs) Yeah. Look, something might happen. But the alternative of nothing happening under a Liberal Party is worse. I can't tell you how to vote. I can't. But I can say, keep an eye on what's going on in the next six months. Keep an eye on what will be happening and what slogans will be thrown around. A fair go for all Australians, for all example. Keep an eye on see what they will morph into. Uh, how many buses that slogan will be put up inside. That kind of thing. 
Most importantly, before you vote on May 18th, 2019, and again, I believe that's the date that it will be, read what policies and plans are from each party. Weigh up your vote and take the time to number each slot because that's how preferences work. I'll have an episode out closer to when the election is announced to explain preferences, but just put it into your mind now because it's a fact that you need to accept now. Yes, you'll be at the polling booth for a little bit longer than if you just numbered above the line, but if you number each box below the line, then that's just one extra way of stopping talking durian fruits like Fraser Anning and Malcolm Roberts getting into the Senate. Don't forget, those guys, yes, they had the benefit of uh, people dropping out and leaving the Senate. 19 votes is all it took to get those people in there. 19 votes. That's nothing. That is nothing at all. Okay, so there's another two days of the Labour conference. And these two days will have discussions and votes as to what will be the agenda Labour will attempt to enact next year. It's a major event. It's huge. And once again, Labour is on the front foot with this conference. They have been given a gift that is occurring right now. This is a pre-election campaign boost. The Libs don't do this. They have a morning tea or whatever it is. It's not a national conference like this. They, Labour is going to be using this really as an election campaign starter. The election campaign has started on the 16th of December 2018. We're already in election mode. Bill Shorten is not exactly a man who lights the world on fire. He's not energetic or inspirational or invigorating. You listen to him talk and you want to fall asleep. What he does have is policies and plans for the future of Australia. This in itself could be the biggest gamble of them all. Will Australians genuinely care what the politicians are promising? Will they? Or will they vote like it's Australian idol politics again? If you listen to Bill Shorten's speech, he's surprisingly devoid of me or I statements. He talks about we, us, together, united. He talks about building a fairer future. And for some reason, there is a genuine belief that Bill Shorten, the likely future of Prime Minister, genuinely wants a better Australia for all Australians. In six months, we'll find out if this is the case. Thank you all for listening. I know this is a long episode. I know it's a long talk about politics. Um, You know, as the election goes on, I may have a few more of these. I'm not sure. I I don't know. I enjoy talking about politics. I I love it. I really do. I mean, I've just spent an hour banging on about the Labour Party. Um, And I know it's a little bit rambled. I don't edit these things. I can't listen to my own voice, so I'm very sorry. You know, I know I have disjointed uh, sentences and all that kind of stuff, and I know that you're not supposed to point out your own flaws because then it accentuates them, but here I am pointing out my own flaws. You already recognize that. Um, But thank you very much for listening. I hope that you get something from this. Um, I hope that you appreciate uh, politics discussions and things like that. And I hope that you... I think one of the key things that I want to try and do with Roundabout as a discussion, the reason why I call it Roundabout is that you have a left and you have the right... And on a roundabout, they meet. They are united on a roundabout. You have to have a left, you have to have a right, and they meet in the center. Okay? And they have to, it goes around and around. That's how politics does. It goes from left to right, left to right, left to right. It swings and roundabouts, basically. And that's what roundabout means. And basically what I want people to get from this show is to understand the nuance of politics, to understand 
the intricacies of politics, to understand why the Labor Party would infuriate thousands of Australians, and it's thousands, definitely thousands, not millions, why they would infuriate thousands of Australians by voting for the encryption bill. Why would they do that? That's what I want to try and get people to understand. Government politicians may not always do the right thing, and yes, we should criticize them for doing the wrong thing, but we should also understand why they did the wrong thing. And even if it's just politics, even if it's just a half win, as Bill Shorten called the uh, encryption debate and the legislation that passed, a half win. I don't know what a half win is because a half win to me is also a half loss. Um, But if it's understanding why they do that and understanding the reasons behind that, then that's important. It is. Uh, Again, it doesn't make it right. But, you know... I I look at it in this way, uh, in the you know checks and balances in some regards. You have a win in some area, and you also take a loss in some areas to get a win in other areas. It's the way politics works. I'll vote on this bill for you if you promise to vote on this bill for me, kind of thing. Um, and I hope to get listeners to understand that a little bit more. It's easy to get hot under the collar about these things. It is. But it's also easy to understand why things happen. And one of the things which I want to continually remind people is don't forget that we vote these people in. In Australia, we are very fortunate. It's compulsory to vote. That is a privilege. It is a privilege to vote. I know that people complain about it because they're like, I'm just going to do a donkey vote because nobody represents me. Do your research. You know what you say when you say that to me? You aren't doing enough research. There are people out there who represent you, even if they are an independent or, you know, for the sex party or whatever. Sex party was actually pretty good as well, by the way. They had some great policies. If they're an independent or a small party or a minority party or whatever, vote for them. Okay? Vote for them. Their votes matter. People look at where votes go and they assess what is happening. They understand, they listen. And then if the person you don't like gets in, or even if the person that you do like gets in, write to them. If you have an issue that is occurring in your electorate or in Australia or around the world, write to them. They have to reply to you. Call them up. Talk to them. Sure, you're not actually going to be talking to Bill Shorten himself. You're going to be talking to one of the people who works for Bill Shorten. But... They have to respond to you. They have to listen. You know, when problems occur, and this this happens in Western Australia, and I'm going on a bit too much, I'm rambling, I know. But this happens in Western Australia, which is where I live, where problems occur and then people flood that particular uh, member of parliament's phone um, and basically no calls can get through and the, the receptionist is sitting there listening to people go on about hey, we don't want shark culling to occur and stuff like that. We don't want fracking and WA, all this kind of stuff. Um, and they lock up the telephone, making it hard for anything to actually occur. That actually does have an effect, people. Writing to people, physically getting out a letter, purchasing a stamp and mailing something to somebody, it's a tangible object. We forget the power of a written letter. We do. 
And if you sit there and you write down your issues with what is going on and you mail it to them, also email it to them as well. Double whammy. But if you physically mail it to them, it's a tangible object. They have to actually do something with it. It will sit there and bother them. They actually have to maintain uh, contact with the people who elected them. So do that. Keep that in mind, people. You know, not just when a party that you don't like is in power, but when a party that you do like is in power. Because I know that when, you know, a party that you agree with is in power, it's easy to get complacent because you're like, well, great, fantastic, fantastic. I can take my gloves off. I don't need to keep an eye on these guys. I voted them. They're going to do what I asked them to do. No, actually, (laughs) when you vote for the people that you really like and they actually get in, that's the time that you need to pay even more attention because you want them to continue on doing what you want them to do. Uh, You voted for them. You tend to agree with maybe 70-80% of what they stand for. So talk to them and email them and contact them and say, hey, by the way, why don't we do this? What about live sheep exports? What's going on with that? What are we doing regarding climate change? What are we doing about violence against women? What are we doing about uh, deaths in custody? All these kinds of things. They're all major issues, and we have a benefit of being able to get in contact with our politicians. Australia, for all its darkness and gloom and doom, I love Australian politics a lot because we have some of the best ways of dealing with politics in the world it is one of the safest ways of voting we write on paper you know our votes cannot be manipulated it is compulsory to vote that is a that's a luxury it's a luxury it's great how beautiful is that anyway look i really have gone on too long i'm 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 just you know sitting here and having an audible um self-pleasure moment going on about australian politics but again thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoy this. I hope you do. Uh, if you are interested in finding out about anything else, uh, head over to the website, thecurb.com.au. Uh, there's written film reviews. There's, uh, you know, hopefully in 2019 I can um, become a little bit more confident about writing about politics. I can talk about politics, but I'm not so confident in writing about it. Um, but I'm working on that in 2019. I'm hoping to have a few written things up and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Follow me on social media, facebook.com forward slash the curb AU, twitter.com forward slash the curb AU. If you like what I do, head over to patreon.com forward slash the curb AU. Support me for as little as a dollar a month. It just helps keep the website running, all that kind of stuff. And please go and listen to the episode I did with Simon on Apple Slice podcast uh, talking about the encryption bill. Um, I thought it was a really interesting discussion. I did bang on a little bit too long as I usually do. Uh, So, yeah. In that regards, I'm banging on way too long here. Uh, thank you again for listening. And look, I'll see you on the next episode of Roundabout. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.